Koto, I'm glad you guys came uh, tonight. So this is the first talk in the series called Catholicism 101, which we were starting up this semester, kind of off of the whole college theme. You guys are in college. Uh, so as you're learning um, many things in your fields of study, you should also be learning your faith, um, especially those of you who went to seek. Uh, you got used to like what it is to go to a, a talk, so to speak, of like somebody talking on a theme in faith or spirituality, Catholicism, um, and being fed by being formed, by knowing more our faith so that we can practice it more. Um, so today I thought we'd start with just a simple how to pray. What does it mean to pray as a Christian, as a Catholic, uh, and some practical tips. So to that end, we will start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. This is from the Gospel according to Matthew. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so that others may see them. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. In praying, do not babble like the pagans, who think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for gathering us here tonight. We pray you send your Holy Spirit among us to hear and heed your word, to open our hearts to your love, to pray with our hearts and our minds and our souls, to draw close to you as you draw close to us. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Great, so why did I decide to start with this topic of prayer? Um, pretty simply because the thing that you can do to have the biggest effect on your spiritual life, or on your life in general, to make tomorrow different from today, is to pray. Or if you already are praying, uh, one of the biggest effects you can have on your life for the better uh, is to go deeper in your prayer, learn more what it is to pray. Um, so it's very, very important and uh, has to do, has effects on all sorts of other aspects of your, of your life, uh, not only your spiritual life, but your emotional life, your psychological, your relational life, your family life, your school, everything. By putting in prayer, um, it totally colors the, the rest of your existence. So um, there are two kinds of prayer. There are many, many kinds of prayer, but there's two kind of general kinds of prayer. One is called vocal prayer, um, like the prayer of the voice or the mouth. And one is, the, is mental prayer, which is prayer of the mind, or better understood, prayer of the heart. They're both related. Vocal prayer can lead to mental prayer. Um, but what we're going to be talking about tonight is mental prayer. So what it means to, to pray with your heart and not just with your voice. Many of you maybe learned how to pray, so to speak, as kids by learning the Our Father or the Hail Mary or Grace Before Meals. Um, those are vocal prayers. Those are prayers that you say with your mouth. And they should lead often to a prayer of the heart. Like when you're saying Grace Before Meal, 
hopefully it's not just blessed is the Lord of these you're actually thanking God with your heart as well not just serving him with your lips right so um, but the most the, the real the heart of prayer so to speak no pun intended is mental prayer so these slides are a little out of order but um, I wanted to start with this question what is God uh, before we got into really what prayer is uh, this question was asked me of a seventh grader when I was in my first year as a priest teaching confirmation class in my parish. And I was talking all about God and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Incarnation, all these theological mysteries. And the seventh grade girl just stopped me in my tracks by asking me, what is God? Which sounded kind of like a little bit of a silly question, uh, but it's actually very, very profound. Because if you were to ask, if she were to have asked me, what is an apple? I could have just gone and gotten an apple and been like, here it is. And she's like, oh, it's like a green round thing. Well, not all of them are green. Some of them are red. Like you can explain what an apple is by showing them and then saying like what it tastes like, what it looks like. But God is not like a thing in the world that you can just say, well, he's like this. Or look, there he is. God is everywhere. He's invisible, he's infinite, he's all-knowing, all-powerful. So how do you describe him, or what is he? And I came up with kind of a lame answer, I think. I tried to explain it a little bit, like according to Thomas Aquinas and the, the end of all existence and the, the, all of this stuff. And it, she was a seventh grade. She just wanted to know, like, like when a kid asks what... Uh, table is or who you are like what's your name like just a simple answer to a simple question and I couldn't give it to her but if I had to go back and do it again I would have explained it like this that God is like a person who's holding an acorn but inside that acorn is the entire universe and the universe has something like 80 billion galaxies don't quote me on that you can look it up on Google but there's (laughs) just a mind-boggling amount of stars and galaxies and solar systems and planets. It's like 46 billion light years wide, which means if you were going at the speed of light for 46 billion years, you would barely reach the end of it. And even then it's expanding, so it's getting bigger. Like the whole universe is like an acorn in God's fingers. Only that's not a big enough difference, actually. So let's make the person a giant and let's make the acorn a speck of dust or a grain of sand or something. Is that a big enough difference? Well, no, actually, because God is infinite and the universe is finite, meaning the universe has an end. God is endless. He's limitless. Kind of like eternity is an endless amount of time. It's not just a really, really long time. It's eternity. So, like, trying to add something to God, like the universe is like trying to add a minute onto the end of eternity, which means you have to like wait for eternity to be over, and then you're like, another minute. So you, did you ever do this when you were a kid? Like, I hate you, infinity plus one, you know? Um, there's no infinity plus one. It's actually impossible mathematically. Okay, so God plus the universe is not greater than just God by himself. Okay, so God is infinitely gigantic, yet he is a person. He's personal. He has a mind, a heart, a point of view. He actually turns out to be triune, three persons in one God. 
which is, that makes it even harder to understand. But God is this giant, and we're this tiny grain of sand. In fact, not even the tiny grain of sand. We are a tiny, itty-bitty speck of dust inside that grain of sand on this little planet in this little, surrounding this little star. And on that little planet, you're barely even visible, you know, and when we pray, when we're saying grace before a meal, we're sitting around the table with our family, and us little tiny specks, atoms, grains of dust, are like, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts are about to receive. We're like, yeah, the giant must be listening right now. Like, he's probably just waiting for us to say his name, you know? Isn't it kind of bizarre what we believe about prayer? That God is at our beck and call. Like, whenever I get a moment free... You'll be there, ready. Doesn't it seem kind of backwards? That God is actually the huge giant, and we're his tiny little creatures. Yet what we believe as Christians is that God, that giant, is head over heels in love with each and every one of us, so much so that he sent his own son to die for our sins, to give us eternal life. Even after we had rejected him, when we were his enemies still, St. Paul says, he died for us to win us back. So what, what is God? God is love. That's what St. John says. God is love itself. And not just a feeling of romantic love, for instance, but total self-emptying, self-giving love. It is God's nature to love. Infinitely. And so this giant is constantly pouring out love just looking for a vessel to pour it into. And so what prayer is, basically, is letting God love me. Opening my heart up, holding my hands out to try to catch some of that love. That's it. But it's still, it feels kind of weird sometimes. If you've ever tried to pray, to just like sit down, like I'm going to just pray. It's almost like trying to not think of an elephant. Have you ever tried that? Like, I'm not going to think of an elephant. Ah, dang it. I'm, the only thing in my mind right now is an elephant. It's like trying to manipulate your thoughts or your feelings or your desires is really, really difficult. So sometimes it feels like sitting and making believe. Like, I'm going to pretend that God's right here, like, sitting next to me or something, and I'm just going to have a little conversation in my head, but it really just feels like you're talking to yourself or pretending. Or it's like this is my big temptation. It's like figuring out a math problem or something. You know, like, I'm just going to figure out my life. I'm going I'm to sit down and pray about my vocation. But what does that mean? It just means I'm going to think really hard about what I want to do with my life or what I think God might want me to do or figure out the signs or whatever. But it's really just you sitting there by yourself thinking. You're not actually talking to anyone. Or it's like kind of like a Buddhist sit there, control your breathing, and try to clear your mind of anything, you know, and just like be totally at peace with God and the universe, which, if you're anything like me, is almost impossible, if not totally impossible. Right? You have the monkey mind. It's swinging from thing to thing. You're like, I'm going to sit there and just not think about anything. And then you're like, before you know it, you have no idea how you got to what you're thinking about, right? It's, it's not any of those things. Prayer is more like um, this like a baby being held by its mother. I don't know this, if this is true, but I've heard about shepherds that if a lamb gets really excited or scared, like it can, its heart can start beating so fast that it can get like scared to death, literally. And so if a, um, 
if a shepherd sees that a, that a lamb is in distress, it can actually, he can actually hold the lamb up to his chest and his heart being calm and beating slowly will actually calm down the heart of the lamb. I don't know if that's true. It sounds really sweet. It's kind of, it's kind of like what the good shepherd does for us. It's just, it's like this wordless, often wordless, sometimes there are words, but it's just being with God and letting his heart speak to your heart. And between these two people, this is like the closest bond that any two people have on earth, a mother and a baby. And there's no words exchanged. It's not the baby trying to figure out a math problem, like, what, what do you want me to do with my life? You know, it's, it's simply relating. The baby is letting the mother love him. And look, the baby can do nothing for the mother. Right? The mother just, she can't help but love her baby. It's hers. Right? But uh, can you do anything for God? Remember what you are compared to him? Basically nothing. The only reason you exist or I exist is because God loves us. I mean, these are thoughts. They're not really feelings of the heart, but they can help us to inform, like, what am I doing when I come to pray, when I kneel before God in the Eucharist or I'm sitting alone in my room trying to read the scriptures and pray to God? I'm not doing him any favors. He's just dying to love me, to pour out that infinite love. Okay, so there's a, uh, there's a phrase in Latin, cor ad cor loquitur, which is actually uh, John Henry Newman's motto. Um, John Henry Newman of the Newman Centers around the country are named after him. He was a priest in England, and he took this as his motto, cor ad cor loquitur, heart speaks to heart. And I love this icon of Jesus, where you can see what's in his heart, the cross, the uh, lance that pierced his heart, the three nails, the crown of thorns. Like everything that it cost him to love us. And he, the good shepherd, he, our savior, he, the Lord, is pouring out his heart into your heart. This is a quote from Charles Dickens from A Tale of Two Cities, which I just picked up and started reading again uh, the other day. And uh, I love this quote. It's the beginning of one of his chapters. A wonderful fact to reflect upon that every human creature is constituted to be that profound secret and mystery to every other. A solemn consideration when I enter a great city by night that every one of those darkly clustered houses encloses its own secret, that every room in every one of them encloses its own secret, that every beating heart in the hundreds of thousands of breasts there is, in some of its imaginings, a secret to the heart nearest it. This is just a picture of Chicago at night. But all, all those lights represent, in theory, someone in there, or maybe multiple people in there. And inside there, there are human hearts that are total secrets to me, to the person taking this photo, and even to the person sitting right next to them. Even if that person is their wife or husband or brother or sister or mother or father, there's something in you, in every human heart, that's a total secret that only you know in your imaginings, in your desires, in your feelings, in your thoughts. Things that even if you wanted to, you couldn't share. Uh, St. John Paul II says, that, calls this the incommunicability of the, of the person. The person is incommunicabilis. There's something totally uncommunicatable about who you are. 
you can't decide for me. You can't think for me. You can't imagine for me. I am myself thinking and feeling and doing and, and wanting all in the like, deepest recesses of who I am. And that we call the heart. So in Christianity, there, we believe the heart to be the place where God resides. Um, this is just a, a diagram from something called the Institute for Priestly Formation, a, a program I went through when I was in the seminary. And uh, it's kind of a helpful diagram. It says that there are three levels to the human heart. And notice the white dot in the middle is the Holy Spirit. That's where God is in your heart. But your heart is a little bit like an onion. There are these layers. Um, so the, the third, the outside of your heart, the surface, so to speak, of your heart um, would be like your surface feelings, your most superficial feelings. Like I'm hungry, or I'm kind of bummed out, or I'm tired, or I'm really psyched, or pumped up, or whatever. Uh, these are not deep affections. They're not deep feelings or thoughts or desires. They're simply just like your daily kind of movements of the heart. Then you have the more like inner, inner part, the second level of your heart, which is more psychological, you know, having to deal with the thoughts, feelings, and desires um, that, something, that are a little bit more deep. You know, like if you're an introvert, for instance, like you want, you, you want to be alone. Like you've been, in a, you've been in a group of people for a really long time, and you're like, I need to disengage right now. Like there, are, there are some deep things in me right now that are feeling pulled away, like I want to be by myself. Or if you're an extrovert and you're, you've been by yourself all day, you've been cooped up like writing a paper, you're like, I just need to be with some people like to get energy or, or life or like feeling like I'm alive. So those are, those are deeper feelings, but they're still not the core of who you are in your soul, your spirit. Then there would be like the deepest level of your heart, the level three, which is something like, I, I want to be known and loved. I want someone to actually know who I am and understand me and to affirm that that's good. That person, me, it's good that I exist. Or I want to give my life away. I have this gift of my life. I want to find something worthy of laying it down for, someone worthy. Those would be deep, deep desires. Or a feeling that like I know myself to be loved by God right now in this moment. If you've ever felt that like in prayer or otherwise, you just get this deep consolation, deep comfort, deep sense of warmth and peace that God is real, that he's really here, that he sees you and knows you and loves you. Or the opposite. Have you ever felt like in your deepest recesses that God is not there? That he, it's like he doesn't exist? He's, that it's cold and dark and lonely and scary and sad on your deepest like level of your heart? That too is it's not exactly pleasant, but that too is an important and sacred place in you. Okay, so it's it's important to know that the the heart has levels. Otherwise, you can start to, you can sit down and and um, pray and be like, "Gosh, I'm so angry right now. Like everything's frustrating me. I'm having a, just a terrible time praying." And it's because you haven't eaten anything in like eight hours and you're on three hours of sleep. Well. Maybe it's the first level of your heart just telling you, like, sleep and eat something. That's why you're upset. Not because you are deeply alienated from God or any other reason. So to get to God, to get to where the Holy Spirit resides in you to pray, you have to be able to 
get past those surface level parts of your heart into the deep inner part of your heart. So this, uh, I love this quote from St. Augustine. He's a great hero of mine. Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Late have I loved you. You were within me, but I was outside. And it was there that I searched for you. In my unloveliness, I plunged into the lovely things which you created. You were with me, but I was not with you. What is he saying here? It's, it's kind of profound. You were within me, but I was outside. Remember from this picture, where is God? Within. He's within, your innermost part of you. That's where the Holy Spirit is. Since your baptism, you were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you go, you don't have to look for God. He's right here. So the object of prayer is to, is to go within. Not to like navel gaze and just like think about um, your own thoughts and feelings and desires at the expense of the feelings and thoughts and desires of others. But what St. Augustine is saying, St. Augustine was very tempted by the things of the flesh, the things of the world, the pleasures of the world. And it's like G.K. Chesterton once supposedly said, every man who knocks on the door of a, of a brothel, of a house of prostitution, is actually looking for God. Like whatever you're, whatever you're looking for, whatever pleasure or satisfaction or happiness in this life that you're looking, you think you're looking for, what you're actually looking for is God. Because only God will ever satisfy your heart. And St. Augustine said in the same book, the Confessions, O Lord, you made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. There's nowhere the human heart can go to finally find rest or the peace or the happiness or joy it's looking for except its maker, God. Because what the human heart is looking for is what? Infinite, permanent, euphoric happiness caused by loving and being loved. So where are you going to get that? You're not going to get that from another person. You're not going to get that from your dog or from Netflix. You're going to get that from God. That's it. He's the only one. So your heart might look, and since Adam and Eve tried the fruit of the tree, they're like, maybe that fruit will be what we're looking for. And they said, like, we'll leave God behind in order to try that. And ever since then, we've all been doing that, looking for what we think we're looking for in the world, when actually God's right behind us. He's like, waiting. <laughs> you know, like, I want to give you all you're looking for, all you desire, all you need. But we, we don't do it. So that's what St. Augustine is saying here. I was outside. Think about that. Have you lived outside of yourself? Like your heart is on the outside of your body, almost? Like you're just out there looking from pleasure to pleasure, have no time to slow down, I'm looking for the next thing, and you never just stop and go within? Sometimes it's scary to go within. That's why we do it, because if we're really honest and we stop and listen to what our heart is actually telling us, we're like, we're totally on the wrong track. I'm totally in the wrong major. Like, I'm never going to be happy, so I'm just not going to think about that. I'm just going to keep motoring forward, right? Because there's, there's something scary in there. Maybe that's not the thing you're scared about, but maybe it's some, some other thing. But that's what keeps us from going within, and that's what Augustine is saying, is like, you were in there. And I plunged myself in my unloveliness and all the lovely things you created. Yeah, God made these things to be good, but only as a means to getting to him. Okay? So prayer is a heart-to-heart with God. Step zero is looking at God, looking at you. St. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola 
gave this as kind of like a preface. He wrote a book called The Spiritual Exercises. Um, so St. Ignatius of Loyola founded the Jesuits around the time of the Reformation in the 1500s. And all the Jesuits were at first, it was, a, it was an order of priests, um, missionaries, but their great mission was to do this thing called the spiritual exercises. And St. Ignatius kind of developed through his own relationship with God. And uh, it was 30 days in silence. I made the spiritual exercises actually when I was in my third or fourth year of seminary. 30 days of silence, four hour-long periods of prayer each day, along with an hour of spiritual direction with a priest each day got two repose days, so two days where you're allowed to talk, but you weren't allowed to like use your cell phone or anything like that. Went to the aquarium one day. Um, but mostly it was just to, just to like, create all this space in your life to have a heart-to-heart with God. And in his spiritual exercise, he says, before each of your periods of prayer, before the place that you're about to pray at, whether it's a kneeler or in a ch- uh, church in front of the Eucharist or in your room, um, stand there for a moment before the place where you're going to sit or kneel and pray. And for the space that it takes to, t- uh, to say in our Father, 30 seconds or so, contemplate God looking at you. Contemplate the fact that God has been waiting, so, like metaphorically, in this spot for you to finally sit down and look at him. Think about him looking at you. And I don't know about you, if you've ever tried to sit down and meditate or pray, um, like you, if you don't do this step zero, it's a little bit like opening the door to a room with the light off and just starting to shout things in there to someone you hope is in there. You know what I'm saying? Um, like to start to have a conversation without even knowing if there's anyone listening. So this is a bit like opening the door and turning the light on and seeing like, oh, you're there. And then to start to have the conversation. So this is just a, a, a helpful tip if you have trouble if you sit down and start to pray and you feel like, I'm not actually praying, I'm just thinking, trying to figure out the math problem, or I'm trying to wipe my mind clean, or something like doing some thing that basically just a solo activity is not actually a heart-to-heart with anyone, to just stop and look at God looking at you, or whatever that means to you, whatever that feels like for you. So I've been using these words, thoughts, feelings, and desires. These are called affective movements. This is what's going on in your heart at level one, level two, and at level three. There are thoughts, there are feelings, and there are desires. So the idea with prayer is to do four things. And I don't want this talk to just be like, do this thing and you'll be praying. It's not... It's sort of like if I were, my talk were how to talk to your mom and I gave you like a detailed list of instructions like a scientific procedure. It's a relationship. There's no way that I can just tell you exactly how to do it. These are just meant to be a little bit of a framework to hopefully inspire you and to, to make it seem less intimidating to pray. But these four steps are very helpful. If you sit down to pray and you feel like, I don't feel like I'm doing anything, The first thing is to just acknowledge the thoughts and feelings and desires that are happening. And maybe you are still on level one of your heart and it's just that I'm hungry and that I haven't gotten enough sleep and school is stressing me out or whatever. It's not really deep spiritual existential questions that you're contemplating. But to acknowledge that, that's helpful. Because God will not address your false self. 
He'll only address your true self. He'll only address your heart. And a lot of times, the trap that we get into when we pray, at least I do, is I, I sit down and I, I try to pray, and I've got a million things going in my head, things I'm stressed about, things I'm excited about, things I'm sad about, and I'll sit down, and that, none of that is what I pray about. Instead, I try to be like, God, thank you so much for this day and for making me a priest and for all the great students at UIC and all this stuff. And, and like, he doesn't want to talk about the things I'm not actually thinking about. He wants to, like, what's actually stressing you out? What are you actually afraid of? What are you actually sad about? What are you excited about? What are you desiring? So that's acknowledge. Acknowledge what's actually happening in your heart. And that, that's, I mean, almost step zero, too, is like, start to notice what's actually happening in your heart. You know, before you go to confession, you're supposed to make an examination of conscience. That's the whole idea behind an examination of conscience, is that your conscience is you. It's not you. It's actually God's voice inside of you, within you, guiding you, telling you what's right and what's wrong, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. But it's, it's inseparable from you. Yet why would you need to stop and examine it? It's almost like you are the doctor getting outside of your body and looking at you and being like, what's wrong? Hmm. But we don't. We don't always pay attention to what's going on in my conscience, in my heart. So the first step is to just acknowledge it. What am I feeling? What am I thinking? What am I wanting? So thoughts. If I try to acknowledge a thought, what, what might come up? might be a memory, like you, you sit down to pray, or something's been haunting you all day, and it's, or, or blessing you all day, like a, a memory from earlier in the day, or earlier in the week, or from when you were 12. Something is just like in your head for some reason, and won't go away, you keep thinking about it. Acknowledge it. Or it could be a scripture passage, or a story or something that you've actually brought to prayer, like in Lexio Divina, you're reading something from the Bible, and this thing strikes you, and you think about it. You acknowledge that thought. It could be a dream, like you have some weird dream. You ever had that? And it's like still in your head, and for some reason it's not going away. Most dreams kind of have an S. This one's sticking with me. When I sit down to pray, maybe I bring that thought. I acknowledge it. Or a feeling. It could be I feel really good today, actually. I want to know what's, what's up, because yesterday I wasn't feeling so great. What's the difference? Bring that to prayer. Acknowledge it. Or it could be, I feel lousy. I feel angry. I feel like everything is bothering me for some reason. Acknowledge it. Don't try to pretend like I'm not actually bothered and everything's fine, God. <laughs> you know, like he doesn't address the false self. Acknowledge it. The second step would be to relate those things. So it's one thing to acknowledge it. That's kind of the solo activity, but then relating it, that's a subtle thing. Relating it means basically telling God about it. And again, this could be out loud if you're praying like Jesus told you in your, in your room by yourself. You could say it out loud, like, God, I'm angry. Sometimes you feel silly. You might feel silly talking to God out loud. But kind of like when two spouses know each other really, really well, they've known each other for years, they don't need to say out loud what they're feeling. They just, like, through with a look, they can just communicate it. Well, that's, I mean, God doesn't need you to say it out loud, but you do need to relate it somehow. So prayer is like a heart-to-heart with God. Have you ever had a heart-to-heart with another person, another human being? Who has? You ever had a heart-to-heart? Like something where like, this is something I really want to share. I want to open my heart to you. 
and say something that I'm not going to just say to anybody because I trust you a lot. That's what you're doing with God. You're, you're acknowledging what's going on inside, but then you're relating it to him. You're sharing it openly. I'm not hiding anything from you, God. You can see anything. He can see everything anyway, but he still insists that we're the ones that open it up to him. And if we do that, we will receive. God will pour out some grace. And then, then our job is to receive. So we've acknowledged the thought, feeling, desire, the deep affective movement in your heart. You've related it to God. Now, he, now it's his time to respond. So he's giving and giving and giving. Remember, he's infinite love, constantly being poured out. So let that love wash over you, fill you up. And then respond to that grace. And, and maybe, maybe it, makes, it looks like a resolution, like, okay, I'm going to, you know, like, let's say you're thinking about, there's this person that I really had like a long feud with and a person in my family that it's just things aren't right and it bothers me. But today I, I sent them an email just like because it was their birthday and I, um, that felt really good, you know, and you're bringing that to prayer and you're like, I, I didn't want to do that. I don't really like this person. They're not on my favorite list right now. But I sent them a, an email because it was their birthday. I acknowledged them. You bring that, that thought, that memory, that feeling to God. Like, there it is, God. And what you're feeling in response is some comfort, consolation, a sign that he's pleased. That act of love, that act of generosity and humility was pleasing to me. And you're just like, okay. I'm going to respond by saying, like, I'm going to try to do stuff like that. Maybe even that exact thing. Like, every year I'm going to email them on their birthday. Or I'm going to be more proactive in trying to reach out to this person. Does that make sense? That's just, like, one example made up out of thin air. But um, that's what a, a thing of, uh, that's what prayer might look like. It might take five minutes. It might take 10 or 20 minutes. It might take an hour. But it's not complicated. That's what I want to... Does that sound pretty simple? Not that complicated? So the best way to start praying is to just start praying. It's, the, it's best not to complicate matters. So if you're not praying, start. If you are praying, keep going. But there are some practical tips. One is to have a regular time. This is in two senses. One is like the time of day that you do it, and one is the amount of time that you do it. Um, but it's good to plan. It's, good. it's not great to be like, all right, at some point, oh, I'm going to pray today. It's Saturday. I don't have anything going. I woke up at 11. Uh, I don't really have anything at all, actually. So I'll get to prayer eventually, no doubt. Um, but for now, I'll just like, probably get brunch or eat something, watch TV, play video games. And then all of a sudden, it's like midnight. And you're like, I'm actually kind of tired. To, I'll pray tomorrow. Like, that doesn't work. You have to resolve to be like, this is the time that I pray. When I wake up in the morning, and if you don't have a regular wake-up time, it's good to have one. Um, I always think of this quote. I can't remember. It was a poet who said it. He was not a religious guy. And someone asked him, like, do you believe that the human soul is immortal? And he goes, I didn't used to think so, but now that I'm old, I do. And the guy's like, why do you say that? Aren't you just afraid to die? Like, you hope the soul is immortal so you can go to heaven? And he's like, well, that, but also... 
now that I'm old, I finally know how to live. And it seems like such a waste to like finally figure it out and then you just die and then you're, you don't exist anymore. <laughs> and he's like, I don't think that's a particularly great argument for the immortality of the soul, but it's really interesting to me because as I get older, I do figure out how to live. Like when I was in college, I had no idea how to be a happy person. Like I was just not sleeping enough. I was, you know, not planning my time out at all. Like I had a whole semester to write a paper and I'd write it the day of. It's like you are your own worst enemy so often. Like you're just sabotaging. If you were trying to make a person miserable, uh, just do what you're doing to yourself right now. Like there's so much of what we do to ourselves that, that hamstrings us, that just keeps us from thriving. So one thing that you can do is to just say, like, I'm going to go to bed at this time, and I'm going to wake up at this time. Even if you can't do that, at least when I wake up or before I go to bed, I'm going to pray. Or at some time during the day, like Wednesdays, I'm going to say, I'm going to sign up for one of those half an hour deals, and I'm, I'm going to pray. That at least once a week, I'm going to pray for a half an hour. That's a start. It's best to pray every day. A good amount of time is probably 20 minutes. It's hard, to, it's hard to really have a conversation with anybody for five minutes to be like, I'm going to talk to you every day for five minutes. Well, yeah, that's better than nothing, but you're not going to really get to know a person. But 20 minutes is about the human attention span. I mean, a lot of us, you'd say it's seven seconds, like the length of a vine. But, um, but actually, it's about 20 minutes. Like you can, you can dwell on an idea or something for 20 minutes before you need to re-resolve to pay attention again. Like, I've been talking for more than 20 minutes, so chances are your thoughts have wandered. I don't blame you. But you've hopefully cut back and like, yeah, Father Connor's awesome. I just have to, like, really listen. Um, but 20 minutes is good. Good physical health. Um, this is not complicated. Your, your body and a soul. It's hard to pray if you didn't sleep last night or if you just ate a bunch of fat and carbs and you don't have like any good energy or good nutrition or you're addicted to something uh, like nicotine or caffeine and you like you can't sit down for 20 minutes without getting a fix of that that substance or if you drink too much or if you eat too much or if you're just like not healthy it's very difficult to be healthy spiritually because those things will will invade like if you even like eating too much like if I get really full if you ever eat a huge meal and you're like uncomfortably full, like try to have a conversation or think about anything. You're just like, oh, I feel disgusting, <laughs> you know. Um, so the body affects the mind, affects the soul. Emotional equilibrium. This is another um, simple one, but it's it's also easier said than done. A lot of times, meditation, mental prayer heart-to-hearts with God turn into just let me go through everything that's making me really upset, anxious, or angry right now in my mind. Or here's this person that's really made me mad and I'm going to keep thinking about the thing that they said that made me mad and I'm going to keep thinking about what I should have said to get them back. (laughs) You know, and then that would have really showed them. And then you just like, your 20 minutes is up and all you did was in your mind just totally verbally flay this person with awesome comebacks. (laughs) And that wasn't prayer. So if there's something really bothering you, think about it as like a, a kid who can't control themselves. You know, like you don't blame a two-year-old for having a tantrum. 
But there's part of you that's a two-year-old having a tantrum sometimes. Right? You're, you're angry, you're upset, I'm mad, I'm not being like, paid attention to, I'm wrongly accused, or something. You know, like, you're mad about something. And you, the adult part of you, can be like, okay now, it's okay you're having a tantrum, but you're going to have to sit down and we're going to have to talk about this. You know, like you're going to have to be a grown-up about it. So don't, don't just try to repress it, those emotions. Like if you're not in an equilibrium, don't just be like, I'm fine. <laughs> like everything's fine. Like acknowledge it. Remember step one. And then relate it to God. Like bring God into this discussion. You're like, hey, do you see this part of me that's totally having a fit right now? Let's talk about that. What's up with that? And then receive what he wants to give you. Okay. Social harmony. Remember in the gospel, Jesus says, uh, before you bring your offering to the altar, if you have something against your brother, go to your brother and reconcile first. So this is a very good rule of thumb. It's, it's hard to pray when you feel like there's some key relationship in your life that there's a rift, there's something amiss. Okay? So do the work of, of letting resentment go if there's unforgiveness in your heart and then to ask God for forgiveness. He's made it pretty clear that there's not much he won't forgive, but one of those things is us not forgiving other people. So we have to let those resentments go. Even if it's not, like, I'm going to go talk to this person who I haven't talked to in years, but to at least, like, unilaterally forgive them in your heart and say, like, Jesus, I'm really struggling with this person who wronged me. Um, I can't forget it, necessarily. Some, maybe it's a deep, deep trauma and wound that, like, even forgiving this person feels totally unjust, but just to I give it to you, Jesus. Like, I'm not the judge. I'm not trying to collect on this payment. I'm tr not trying to collect on this debt. I never can anyway, so I'm giving it to you. Winding down. This one's a really hard one. Um, be, taking care of what's actually you're actually letting in to your heart through your eyes or your ears or whatever um, before you sit down to pray. So if, like, you're in the car and you're just completely rocking out to like rage against the machine or some like band that's just really loud and kind of evil sounding. <laughs> um, and then you get into the chapel and this, your ears are still ringing from the loud music and you kneel down and you're like, what's going on in my deepest heart right now? And you're just like, <laughs> your head is still ringing from what you've been letting in. So winding down, there's kind of an art to this of keeping out things that are gonna, you know are going to make it hard to pray. This is true for like falling asleep, too. Like the, If you look at screens, a lot of times the, the blue part of the screen um, will tell your retina, like, the sun is out, you should be awake, and it's hard to fall asleep. It's the same thing with prayer. Like if, you don't, if you don't take care and time to wind down to pray, then you're not going to be able to wind down. You're not going to be able to calm down and calmly listen to your heart or what you do if you've been going and going and going and going and not letting up and not letting any room for silence or calmness or reflection and then you finally do it's like okay I'm going to pray for 20 minutes and you're a minute and a half in and you're like you can't stay awake because you're totally addicted to adrenaline and this is a fact that you can actually be addicted to stress hormones to, to, to the neurochemicals that stress cause um, which means you get stressed when you're not stressed, which sucks. But people are like, in, like high-powered business people or students often are addicted to stress. Like I can't, you ever, anybody ever tell you, 
I only work well under pressure. Meaning like you can't, you're totally lethargic, totally lazy, can't do anything until someone's like, gun to your head, write this paper or you die. And you're like, I'm great under pressure. <laughs> uh, yeah, that just means you're addicted to stress. You can't work without it. Um, so like again, learning to live an ordered life with, with some calmness and being able to wind down. It's crucial for being able to pray. Suitable place or places. Um, it's hard to pray in a cluttered room. Like, in your, you're like sitting on the end of your bed that's unmade with all your dirty laundry on the floor and your papers and your desk all strewn with stuff. You're just like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pray. God, obviously, he comes into the mess of our life, but it's very much easier to pray in an ordered place, a calm place. Or you can have places, like maybe part of your house, you have a chair that's where I pray in the morning with my coffee. I sit and I, I read the breviary or I read the scriptures or whatever. And then midday, I maybe go to Mass or maybe I take some time to just stop in the chapel and kneel and I pray. Have places that are marked, that like in your mind, in your heart, you know this is the place where you have your heart-to-heart with God. I don't look at my phone in this place. I don't, you know eat pizza in this place like I pray in this place as a human being it's, it's important to have those kind of sacred spots good posture this is, it may seem silly but it's really true that um, your body it's kind of like breathing which is the last one it's one of these things that you can actually do to influence it's a lower part of your nervous system that can influence a higher part of your nervous system like when you're alert, you're standing at attention, right? You, you're not like slouching or you're, you're, you have a straight spine, you have good posture, you look alert, your shoulders are back. It tells your mind and your heart, I'm doing something, not just letting time pass. Like if you go into the ch- chapel, you got your arms crossed and you're like leaning back, you got your arm up on the pew. You're basically just wait. It's like, it looks like you're waiting for a train, not like you're having a heart to heart with a person. Um, Obviously, you don't need to be neurotic about it and sit there like, okay, God, I am talking to you now. You can, you can be relaxed and like you'd have a normal conversation, but think about even just the body language of having a conversation with a person where you're locked up in crossed arms like this versus like you're open and you're just listening to this person. It makes a difference. Just the other morning, actually, I woke up and um, I usually kneel and make a morning offering and I was really tired and groggy and I had my arms crossed and I was kneeling and I'm like this. And I just felt like God looking at me and uh, not in a way that he was like testy or mad, but I just was like, okay, yeah. And I did this and it totally changed my attitude. I'm like, yeah, you're a big God. You made me. Like, I'm not just like the bratty kid that's like, yeah, fine. It's another day. Thanks. You know? (laughs) Like, do we believe what we're actually saying? That God's there looking at me like, here's another day, dude kill it, you know, um, and they're like, thank you, oh, that's awesome, um, posture really makes a difference in how we feel and think and, and pray, and attention to breathing, this is again, um, if you get stressed out or like fight or flight, you will start to breathe, your heart will start to uh, beat, you'll start to sweat, there's a lot of involuntary reactions that happen um, that you can't regulate, but breathing you can, so even if nothing else, when you sit down to pray or kneel to pray, if you're going and you're going, you can't calm down, you can't stop thinking, you can't be attentive to yourself or to God, just focus on your breathing for a little bit. It's just, it's just a meditation technique. Like, breathe in, hold it, 
and breathe out. Just pay attention to what you're doing. Like you're breathing involuntarily and automatically all the time. Just paying attention to that will stop you a little bit and hopefully calm the rest of you down. Some watch out situations. When I was a firefighter, we had these, these list of like, I think 18 watch out situations, like the weather's getting hotter or drier or the wind is changing or the, there's things that you just watch out. Like firefighter, watch out. Okay, prayer, watch out when these things happen. Okay, this is awesome. I love that talk. I really want to have a heart-to-heart with God. I'm going to pray an hour every single day. Okay, good goal, but maybe not a good starting goal. Right? The, these are the kind of things that will totally burn you out and make you feel like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I've, this is such a drag. It's a waste of time. I don't have time anyway. And then you start to think, like, I don't have time to pray, period. I just and then you forget about that good resolution. It's much better to make something manageable. Um, like even if it is five minutes every day, five minutes of silence. Better, to, maybe it's a rosary. That's a vocal prayer that is supposed to lead to mental prayer, the meditation on the mysteries of the rosary. That is a, technically a mental prayer, even though you're using your voice. Um, so make reasonable goals. Resist the urge to judge yourself. This is so big with praying there's the whole like meta thing that's going on when you pray. You, you, you sit down and you pray and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to pray. Am I praying yet? I don't think I'm praying. Is this prayer? What even is prayer? Oh, I suck at prayer. You're not, you're not, you never actually enter into it because you're just thinking about it all the time. You're judging whether or not you're doing it. Um, resist that urge. After you're done praying, you can think like, was that good? Was that a good spot to pray? Or like, was that a good time of day to pray? You know, you can judge whether or not you, you did a good job on your part to make it easy for God to love you. But while you're doing it, just do your best to, like, look at God looking at you and then acknowledge, relate, receive, respond what's in your heart. Consolation and desolation. This is a, a topic for a whole other talk, but um, this is normal. Sometimes prayer feels great. Sometimes it feels lousy. Don't let dryness desolation, discomfort, convince you that you're not praying right, prayer is a waste of time, it's the, it was never worth it anyway, or you're just not the praying kind, or God doesn't love you, or he doesn't exist. Like, you go through, like, if you're in consolation, great. Every time you kneel down to pray, like, ah, this feels so good. I, what a relief. It's like, like when I started working out, you know, I feel so much better eating better. It's like I, my life wouldn't, wouldn't feel right without it. But then you get to a point where you're like totally hit a plateau and you're like, ugh, stinks and nothing's happening. And same thing with prayer. You just power through it. If you're in consolation, great. Store up that comfort for when it gets dry again. And if you're dry, realize that this is temporary too and I'm going to get back into consolation eventually. But do just keep doing the work. The end. Um, this is a, a painting actually at the Art Institute. Uh, of St. Peter. He's praying. Do you know when he was, when this was of? His crucifixion? No, this is after he denies him three times, after he denies Jesus. So his, his prayer is one of repentance. Not exactly consolation. But a heart-to-heart, no doubt. Um, I have a story I could tell, but I also want to open up for questions, and I realize I've been talking for a little bit now, a little over 45 minutes. So, are there any questions? Enrique. Yeah, so those ideal 20 minutes of prayer, does 
that, is that you know just uh, does that include kind of like the tribulations you face when you're trying you know to get into prayer as well, or is that like you're set in prayer? Very good question. So, does this count as prayer? Like, well, that was a wasted first five minutes. I didn't. I wasn't really praying. I was just still winding down. All right, now fifteen minutes. Uh, and you keep judging yourself and thinking like when did I actually start praying no that's another trap the evil one wants to just convince you like you never actually prayed you know that's judging yourself while you're praying if you said I'm going to pray for 20 minutes right now I'm going into prayer I'm going to my spot I'm lighting a candle in my room or I'm kneeling down in front of the Eucharist in the chapel or I'm in my prayer chair or whatever as soon as you sit down as soon as you nail down as soon as you light that candle that's when you start it Okay, and part of your prayer might be dealing with all that surface level, for level one stuff for a little bit until you finally, and maybe only the last minute feels anything like what you would say is prayer. But sometimes conversations are like that with people. Like you just need to get out your blah, you know, before you actually have any sort of meaningful conversation with people. It's like small talk, you know. But if you keep doing that day after day, it will be much easier to, like, that, that five minutes of blah time will turn into one minute, will turn into, like, you just start seamlessly going into relating to God. Does that make sense? So do not beat yourself up about it. Don't let the devil convince you that you didn't actually pray, so you're going to have to extend time, because then that's the whole, man, prayer is a drag. C.S. Lewis, actually, in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, talks about when he was a kid in boarding school, he was very Christian and very rigid and like he tried very much to pray every single day and make sure that all his prayers were pure intentioned and if he felt like he didn't pray a certain prayer with the full intention he had to go back and do it again and it was so neurotic and so annoying to him that eventually he just gave up religion altogether became an atheist for a bunch of years until he finally converted again but like that's where the devil can really use our religiosity our religious desire to totally turn it against itself where then God becomes this kind of petty, uh, judgmental, like, oh, yeah, he's trying to pray, but he's not actually praying, you know? No, God is, remember, infinite love just waiting to pour himself out into your heart. So any time you give him whatsoever, even if it's like, I'm trying, he's just so happy that you're there. Anything else? Thanks, guys. Do you want to hear the story? Sure. All right. Um, so I did when I did the spiritual exercises in Omaha, Nebraska. I uh, it was like day twenty-eight or twenty-nine, and it was great. I loved it. It wasn't as hard as it sounds. It's actually a lot easier than it sounds, and like way less boring than it sounds. It's actually more exciting than normal life. There's a lot more boring stuff in daily life with all the emails and the meetings and the whatever's classes. Like when you're just alone, you and God and a spiritual guide, it's kind of insane what happens, like what's going on in your heart and how real God is. So I was very, very much into that. Um, although I, di- I wasn't having the profound experiences that there were like probably 20 people on retreat with me and you'd see them, you weren't talking to them, but you'd see them like in the chapel at some point just like weeping, crying. I'm like, man, they're having an intense day. Um, <laughs> I never had that. I never felt like a deep... But I did feel an abiding presence, a peace that God was with me, and I was growing. Until like 28, 29, and uh, like these memories started coming back. Um, 
to me from different points in my life that were really upsetting me and making me feel like I'm not worthy to be a priest. You know, I was like two or three years away from becoming a priest. And by this time, I wasn't at the stage where I'm like, do I really want to do this or do I want to go get married? Or I was solid. I want to be a priest. I was like very grateful that God had called me. And then all of a sudden it felt like I'm not worthy. Like, look at me. I'm just this sinner. Like, I, I had to make this general confession at one point as part of the spiritual exercise to confess all your sins from the time you were a kid up until today. And just looking at my life, I'm like, oh, God, I'm such a bad dude. How could God use this guy to be a priest? And I was really getting down. And the, it felt like the evil one was just, like, totally owning me um, with my own sin. And... Uh, I had made the, like, the last few days of the, of the exercise, you're supposed to meditate on the resurrection. You know, Jesus was, his tomb was found uh, at sunrise by the women to be empty. And so I was meditating with some of these readings, and uh, I wanted to get up and watch the sunrise. So there was this spot I'd found on campus at Creighton that was behind an old observatory that looked out over the Missouri River, and uh, to the east you could see the sunrise. And um, I decided I'm going to get up and go uh, pray there in the morning and I couldn't fall asleep because these memories are just like oh, I was totally in desolation and uh, it was not cool and I couldn't fall asleep and I was worried I wasn't going to be able to get up and finally I did fall asleep and I got up um, at the normal time it, it was still dark and I walked out to this spot and before I could even uh, read I was just trying to pray but still I was feeling this ugliness and then the kind of like dawn started before the sunrise and I could read and I opened up uh, my Bible to the gospel of Luke to the prodigal son and I started reading the prodigal son and uh, you know the story how the son tells the dad basically like I wish you were dead so I could have your stuff and the dad's like okay fine you can have your inheritance now he leaves he wasted all on prostitutes he's eating he's uh, taking care of these swine and he's like jealous of the pigs and the gross stuff that they get to eat because he's starving to death and he's like well maybe I'll just go back to my dad and say sorry and I'll say I'll I'll say, like, oh, Dad, I'm so sorry. I sinned against you and against God. And will you take me back, not as your son, but as your slave? And he concocts this whole speech. And I'm reading this story. And it says in the Gospel of Luke, like, as he's coming home and he's practicing his speech, his father is looking out um, and sees him coming. And he's moved with joy and runs out to meet him. And uh, that line, just like that the father's, father saw him and was moved and ran like at that moment I looked up and there the sun was like the most insane sunrise I'd ever seen and it was just like enough clouds where you could see the sun but it it just made it look like straight fuego coming out of the sky it was just insane Um, and it was like one of these things where I'm not just looking at a beautiful sunrise I've seen those before but this like all of this is God orchestrated and it was boom, right to, it was like a beam shot from heaven straight into my heart. And uh, this thought that came to my mind was, I have something much better for you than feeling good about yourself. Which to me, that might not sound like much to you, but to me that just meant like something so profound that really a lot of what I was getting out of my relationship with God was feeling like, I'm a good boy. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm going to be a priest. And uh, that was pretty consoling and comforting and made me feel good. But God was like, I have something way better than, like, you know now you're a sinner, right? That you're actually not worthy to be a priest. Like, nobody is actually. But I'm calling you anyway. 
And like you're coming here with your little speech. You're like, I'm sorry I sinned, but I'm trying to be a better person now. And uh, will you take me back? And God's just like, get over here, dude. And just trying to give me this big hug. And it was, you know, it's a personal thing. It's this movement of the heart. It's a secret. I can't, even if I wanted to, communicate it to you because it's part of me. But just to give you an idea, like that, that's not every time I sit down to pray. That's like two times in my life has something like that happened to me. But it does happen. And it's not like people will ask, like, why did you want to be a priest? And I think some people think, like, were you in a rainstorm and you promised God, like, if you save me, I'll be a priest? <laughs> you know, it's not like these crazy signs from God a lot of times. It's just the gentle movements of your heart when you start paying attention to what's going on. You know, it took me 28 days in silence in order to get to finally what was really bothering me deep down in my memory, in my understanding, in my heart. Bring it to God to relate it to him and then receive what he wanted to actually give me. So I just give, offer that to you as an encouragement that if you do this, if you invest on a regular basis, hopefully a daily basis, in a relationship of prayer, um, it will change your life for the better. It will bear fruit a hundredfold, and I pray that you pray.